our mission is to help as many people as possible find their happy place and to have these really incredible memories. I think today we've had over five years of people staying at Wanders, even though we're such a young company. And like to think that that's five years of happiness, right? Like five years of proposals and spending time with your kids and old friends reuniting. I think sort of the purest like KPI of the company, right? It's like how much happiness and joy are we bringing into the world? Happy Thursday and welcome to Not Boring Founders, the podcast where we interview the people who are building the future. Today's a special one, not only because of the guest, John Andrew Entwistle, the founder and CEO of Wander, who, as you'll come to hear over the course of this podcast, is one of the most impressive founders that I've gotten to meet in my time at Not Boring Capital, but also because Wander today is announcing a new product, Atlas. It's essentially using an old set of tools, the REIT, to create a new asset class, letting members of the Wander community and institutional investors buy into a growing portfolio of Wander's homes, which they rent out as short-term rentals. And so it's this really unique asset where you have this portfolio of these incredible homes. And if you haven't gone to wander.com and just taken time to look at the pictures, pause the podcast and go do that right now. These homes are magnificent. But also, when done right, short-term rentals can generate higher yields than traditional homes or multifamily properties. Of course, nothing that we say in this podcast, nothing that we ever say on this podcast should be construed as investment advice. Do your own research or talk to your financial advisor before making any investment decisions. But this one's just exciting for me personally because it's an idea that I've wanted to happen for a very long time. And I think John Andrew is the right person to pull this whole big, complex, but amazing thing off. So without further ado, my conversation with John Andrew Entwistle, the founder and CEO of Wander. John Andrew, welcome to Not Boring Founders. Oh, thank you for having me. So let's start with your journey because you did not start in the housing market. What's your entrepreneurial journey and then how'd you end up at Wander? That is a hell of a question. I started my first company when I was 13. It was this little game server hosting company and it did pretty well, like low six figures, which I like to joke meant that I was not focused on my homework as uh, as you can imagine. Yeah. Out of high school, I ended up starting a company called Coder, which essentially moves the development environment where a software engineer writes code to an organization's cloud infrastructure. I started that with my co-founders, Kyle and Amar. And, uh, and yeah, moved out here to, to Austin to start that. Ended up being pretty successful, raised about $45 million from GGV, Founders Fund, Redpoint, Bessemer, et cetera. So ran that company as CEO for the last, gosh, five years. Somewhere in between became a field fellow, 30 under 30, all that fun stuff. And, uh, and yeah, earlier last year, I stepped down as CEO after an incredible journey and ended up renting this cabin out in Colorado to sort of get away and think about the world. And, and yeah, that's where the, the idea for Wander came from, this idea of verticalizing the short-term rental industry, owning the hardware and the software and being able to provide this really incredible guest experience. So that, that idea ended up consuming me, not letting me sleep in sort of the, all the best ways. And, and yeah, shortly thereafter started Wander. I like founders to the degree that they make me feel like an unaccomplished old piece of shit. So that you, you check that box completely. And two, 
feels like the Teal Fellowship is on like a, a heater recently with Vitalik and the Figma acquisition and all of that. What did you get out of that? Do you think it found just like a talented person in you? Did it do anything for you in particular? What was the impact of, of that experience? The fellowship is is really special. For someone like me, by the time I was 18 and thinking about going into college, Coder probably already had 10 employees. Who you are as this 18-year-old kid is like very different than the sort of like what your quote-unquote friends or, or people in your age group are doing around you. And what's really sort of special about the, the Teal Fellowship is that effectively what they do, and, and I'm actually doing the interviews right now for the, the next batch of Teal Fellows, is they find some of the highest potential young people with sort of the shared paths and bring them all together. And when you think about it, there are relatively few people who are building big and ambitious companies. There are even fewer who are all very young and skipped college and all that sort of fun stuff. And so I would say that's really the most impactful thing about the fellowship is that it, it brings together this group of kids and more importantly, gives you the comfort that you're not, you're not really alone. Like it's not just you. That identification is like world-class and something that should be studied more as an interviewer. I don't know if you're allowed to even share some of the questions, but like, what do you look for as an interview? Cause I'm sure the people who even make it to the interview phase, who even talk to you are all incredibly impressive. So like, what are the things that you're looking for as you talk to those people? I'm obviously not speaking on, on behalf of the fellowship here for, for me, really what I'm looking for are signals that the, the kid is going to build something no matter what, that they're on this journey, they're, they're, they're going to build their company regardless of what happens to them, whether they get the fellowship or not. And I, I find that it's those types of people, of course, that obviously end up being the most successful right? Where it doesn't really matter if they get something or not, if they get that investment or hire that one engineer or otherwise. I use this, this analogy of the best companies and in, in, in founders and teams are like this, this train and the train is going no matter what. And investors or early employees or otherwise need to either hop on or like it's, it's leaving. Like it's not going to wait for you. And so I look for people like that, people who are, who are going to accomplish what they're going to accomplish regardless of of who or what gets behind them. And then switching to Wander, how much overlap is there between what you look for there and what you look for in employees at the company? Yeah, so obviously very similar. It's interesting, my, my general philosophy on, on hiring is, is very compatibility first versus skill set first. I find that to hire for very specific niche skill sets. And when they find whoever is the best at that skill set, they pull the trigger and, and what you end up getting is a very incompatible culture where, you know, at the end of the day, if someone's an expert in, let's say, structured finance and you have the, the best engineering leader in the world and otherwise, but they're all assholes and like totally incompatible, then they're really never going to accomplish anything. And so we actually prioritize compatibility first, meaning that it's not just, hey, do you want to go on a hike together or like, oh, you like cheeseburgers. I like cheeseburgers. Let's, let's build a company. It's more this shared ethics and values. And so I actually prioritize that first. The next is, of course, output. I look for people who are massively productive in any environment to the point where if they have no support around them, that somehow out of nothing, they create something. Mm -hmm. And then the, the final thing is really communication. 
I find that it's, it's incredibly important to share your successes and your failures and to talk about clouds on the horizon and otherwise. And so those are really the three things that I, I look for is really compatibility, which you could sort of draw a parallel to character there, high output, and then the ability to communicate. One of the things, just kind of speaking of your team, that you do that I don't think any of the other companies that I've invested in do is that the investor updates come from the whole team or the leaders of the different teams at Wander. So the marketing section will be written by Kyle and the product section is written by the product leader and, and on down the line. Where did that come from? I love that. I wish all of our companies did that. It, it shines a light on the people in the company and I think probably lets you get a more detailed glimpse into what they're doing. Where'd that idea come from? Well, now you're going to know which founders are listening to this podcast or not based on next month's investment. Yeah, yeah I, I believe that investor updates are this, this opportunity, not just for a progress report, but to, to talk to your investors, right? These early believers, these people who are on this journey with you. And they're, when you're talking about certain sections of the company, I would hope that whoever is leading that department is going to have a clearer voice and vision than I would. In fact, I would say that if I have a clear voice and vision for, let's say, marketing or finance or otherwise, then our leaders in it, that I've hired the wrong leaders. And so that's really where it comes from is this idea that whoever is the best person to talk about a certain subject is who we have talked about that subject. I firmly believe in this idea that we want as few minds thinking about a single problem as possible, because obviously if we have five people working on the same thing, it's very inefficient. And so that sort of shows up in our investor update. So that's the one side of the investor updates I love. The other side of the investor updates that I love is the, the actual content and the numbers that you're sharing and the growth and the pictures. I mean, I think probably are actually, I'm not that smart. So probably like my favorite part of the investor update are just the amazing pictures of the Wander Homes. Tell us a little bit about your progress. I saw you guys tweeted the other day, just a list of impressive stats, but like what, what's going on at, at Wander right now? There is a lot going on at Wander. It's interesting since the beginning of the company, we categorize our, our progress and basically this, this big database that lists out each goal for the month. And when we first started the company, I think we had 12 goals for the month, but here we are 18 months later and we have over 300 that we'll be, we'll be on track to complete. And so, yeah, there is quite a lot happening from launching new locations to new team members, to closing really important pieces of our, our financial infrastructure and partnerships. And beyond it's a lot as you can, as you can see my brain, like running through this, this database in my head, but yeah, we have quite a lot of really exciting things and things that I think we're actually announcing today is split with friends, which is a feature that I'm super excited about. We actually had a few customers use it without us knowing, which I think is always like a good sign. So we're announcing that and that's a feature that I'm very excited. And I hope that sort of the rest of travel copies so that when you book a place, you can easily like split it with your friends and otherwise. And then the next piece that we're getting ready to launch is, is Atlas, which has sort of been a brainchild for gosh, since the beginning. And that's really the underlying financial infrastructure of Wander. This idea that users can become owners of the portfolio and share in the returns and in our growth. And so that's been a very complicated, intense journey, but, but very excited to, to announce that. That's one of the things that got me the most excited. I think the first time that we talked So I'm actually going to take a step back before we get to Atlas. We're in a market right now where open door is getting crushed. Airbnb, everybody's complaining about the different feeds that they have. And you seem to almost be this like love child of an open door and an Airbnb in a certain way. And yet Wander is doing really well. 
tell me about the full stack approach, what it takes to build, why you're doing that. And then we can get to why financing is the, the kind of new piece of that stack. Yeah. It's interesting. Keith, Keith Boys has this famous tweet where effectively he says the recipe for startup success, you take a historically low NPS industry and inverticalize the components and, and deliver value or, or something to that effect. And that's really what we're doing with, with Wander. The idea is, is that through verticalizing the different components, the marketplace, the guest experience, and it's really the ownership that we can truly deliver a better experience, a more efficient one and take a, take a, take a very fragmented industry and sort of combine it into this, this beautiful ecosystem. I like to think about it in terms of how Apple made the decision to own the hardware and the software or same with Tesla or otherwise. And, and when you do so, you have a lot of opportunity. And so when you think about Wander today, we have the platform infrastructure. So that's how a user goes and books and stays. We have the guest experience infrastructure. That's the guest enjoying talking with concierge, et cetera. And with the launch of Atlas, it's really unlocking that final piece, which is, is ownership. And so what we're doing with Atlas is creating a, a vehicle. It's actually structured as a, as a re where all of the ownership of these properties can live inside of this and Wander can obviously operate them and operate the platform and beyond and have this really perfectly efficient vehicle for investors to benefit without having all of these assets and otherwise directly on Wander's balance sheet. It's brilliant. Tell me a little bit more even about the, the infrastructure. It's taken from the beginning, you thinking about this to actually launch this, what are the different pieces? What took a while? What was the hardest part? And then now how are people going to actually be able to invest in and interact with Atlas? Yeah. I have been thinking about this problem sort of since the very beginning. When you look at other players in the space and their models, you see a lot of like shortcomings, right? These sort of Achilles heels and it, when, whenever. I start working on something, whether it's a new initiative in the company or in this case, starting the company, I basically try to kill the idea on paper. I think I spent like the first three months of, of thinking about Wander, just trying to kill the idea on paper. I have this long 80 page document at this point going over all the ways that it could die and then how we would mitigate them and what questions needed to be answered and beyond this idea of ownership within real estate is something that's complicated, but also like relatively simple, which is that as a company, the, the way that we knew that we had to scale was that at some point we had to create financial infrastructure that would allow for third-party real estate investors, people to, to own the underlying assets and for Wander to retain this control of them, because obviously that's the core to, to Wander, to be able to control the assets and the experience and, and guarantee this radically better, better form of travel. As you're aware, we went through a lot of different thoughts on it. And there are a lot of very, I, I don't want to say fraudulent, but very janky structures out there that are incredibly tax inefficient or inefficient for the investors in various ways where massive amounts of fees are sort of transferred to that real estate investor versus actually like the returns. And so in collaboration with, with some really, really incredible people at like Watkins, ENY and otherwise, we we structured, structured Atlas as this REIT where the benefits of it are that there's no double taxation at the corporate level, which is incredibly important. Individual investors also are able to have a 20% deduction in certain taxes from their dividends. And then most importantly is that REITs are required to distribute 90% of their income to shareholders. And so it's a 
really perfectly efficient, scalable vehicle. And of course, has been around for decades. And we think that as, as Wander scales across the globe, that you know, this vehicle is, is really perfect for us in terms of scaling to billions of dollars of assets. And what do you think the capital base is going to look like? Like, What percent do you think comes from just Wander members versus big institutions? How does that all look? Yeah, so that's another great question as well. It was really important to us to, to have a vehicle that individuals could invest in alongside these large real estate, private equity firms and otherwise. And so when you think about the structure and, and where the capital is going to come from, certainly a lot of capital is going to end up coming from these large institutions because it's an extremely attractive financial product in terms of the yield and sort of the underlying asset of single family homes. When you combine a yield like this with the safety of single family homes, it's, uh, it's like a really, it's a really beautiful financial product, especially when you take into consideration the care that Wander has in selecting these assets, because we need to guarantee that it's also something that the customers will love. And so I would say that if you were to, to scale it out, I would say probably to start 50% will come from sort of individual investors and the other 50% will come from institutions. I think that as we scale, even as more individuals on board onto the platform, that of course, institutions have quite a bit of capital. And so it'll sort of be hard for it to always be a, an equal balance. But I think the most important thing here is that individuals can invest and that they can invest directly. They don't need to go through a broker dealer network or otherwise. And that's, that's something that's really important to us. I and mean, when you think about the future of Atlas, the other beautiful thing about this structure is, is that there are many public REITs out there. And so you can see where we want to take this over, over time is start obviously with a smaller group of, of individuals and institutions, then open it up to really everyone and eventually even potentially take it public, which would be very exciting. That would be incredible. And is it home by home? Is it one enormous, every property past and future goes into the REIT? Like how does it work from that, that level? When creating a financial product, it's very important to make it as, as stable as, as possible. The reason why we structured in a portfolio perspective is that let's say there's like a fire in Tahoe and you're solely invested in Wander Tahoe. That's obviously not going to be a good outcome versus with how Atlas is structured today. Effectively, what you're doing is buying this index of the top performing vacation rentals across the United States. And so whether there's a fire in Tahoe or a hurricane in the Gulf of Texas or whatever it may be, it won't affect you from a portfolio perspective. And so we're building in that diversification. The other beautiful thing here when thinking about the diversification, not just in terms of portfolio allocation, obviously you should have a certain amount dedicated to real estate. And you know, obviously right now you really want to be paid decent dividends in, in today's environment. And so this is, this is attractive from that perspective, but we also diversify not just in terms of location and really across the United States, but also in terms of what types of houses, whether it's coastal or skiing or different sizes as well, from eight bedrooms in Surfside down to two bedrooms on Bandon Beach. We're really trying to create a product that is as stable as, as humanly possible, that pays a very high dividend so that users can kind of sit back and and relaxed as the market kind of crumbles around then. And also, of course, to start with, Wander Atlas is a, is a private REIT, and so it's not marketing to market every day. And that's also kind of nice in today's environment. It's my favorite part about startup investing is it doesn't mark to market every day. 
and you're forced to stay in, which I think is also also an important piece. How does how does Atlas play with memberships and the rest of the ecosystem if it does? Yeah. So you know, over time, and there are certain milestones as we hit that we can start to play around with it more and more in, in terms of eventually having it so that when you stay at a wander, you earn money into Atlas and otherwise. But to start with, each Atlas investor is, is going to have a Wander membership, which gets some discounts if they're wise. We're also currently working on this very fun investment token for Atlas investors, which, which I won't spoil. But you can probably imagine what it is based on the name of, of the product. And so, yeah, our, our goal is, is to really tightly integrate the two, right? It's, it's this idea of an ecosystem where as you stay at a Wander, you're earning money back into it and having really this sort of beautiful beautiful blend of, of transforming owners into, into users and users into owners and really capturing what I think will be an incredible flywheel, right? Where as, as users stay at properties, they're exposed to Atlas, they end up investing. As Atlas raises more capital, we can purchase more properties, more properties unlock more users. And obviously that cycle of growth continues. I mean, it, this has been a dream product of mine for a very, like every time I go to a different city, the, the city that I, that I end up liking, I'm like, I just wish I could just buy a piece of real estate in the city in like a really easy way. And so combining the staying, I actually think I wrote a piece called ZillBnB about how Airbnb and Zillow should merge. And like, maybe one of the things that they could do was have some index of Airbnbs that people could invest in. So like, this is something that I've been uh, interested in for a while. And I'm so happy that you're going to do it. Cause like, this is the portfolio that I'd want to own just based on kind of the, the beauty and quality of the homes and the skill of the operators. Tell us about that portfolio. Because normally when I talk about Wander, the really easy thing is I can just throw up pictures of the houses or the videos that you guys do. But we have to do this all with our voices right now since we're not doing video. Tell us about the portfolio. Where are the homes? How many are there? What do people get with the homes? What's the experience like? And then where's the portfolio going from here with this new kind of capital source? I believe that we have about 12 homes that are on platform right now. And we have quite a few that are, that are off platform that'll be announced soon. In terms of visualizing really what these locations are like, it's probably easiest to sort of think to flipping through that architectural magazine and seeing some of these truly magnificent modern homes and these just exotic locations where you think that it's hard to imagine that, that it's in the U.S. That's really what we go for. And we sort of uncover these gems and, and there are thousands of them that, that interestingly sit in, in just one person's hands for 20 years. And then it just goes to another person. You have these, these pieces of art in truly the most magical places on earth that people don't get to go to. What, what Wander does is, is we find these types of homes and locations, obviously bring them onto the platform and make them accessible for everyone. It's difficult to, to really fully describe, but we have properties in, in Northern California that have five acres of cliff fronts where you look into the distance and you see this island with seals barking and pelicans flying by you at head level as the ocean sort of crashes beneath. We have uh, locations in, in Oregon where the home is literally perched right on the beach and in between you and the beach are these rolling dunes. And literally every morning there's stuff a rainbow. I think that's actually where you were the first time we spoke, maybe. Yeah, no, that's, that's exactly where I was. I had a feeling that right before we launched the platform, which is when we first talked, that it would, it would be 
one of the last times that I would truly get to sit down and enjoy one of these locations, because ultimately if we were successful, they would be full. And, and yeah, I was, I was right. That was actually the, the last time that I got to spend time in a fully set up wander. And so, yeah, I, I very much, very much treasure that, that time there abandoned. And in terms of experience, like you get a Tesla with the house and there's certain mattresses in certain places. Like what are the other pieces of the puzzle that come into the house? And I just have to say, like, I, I worked at this company breather before. And, and one of the teams that I ran was responsible for setting up these like max 10,000 square foot, which is big, but like often 1,000, 2,000 square foot kind of office spaces. And that was like a beast of a challenge. So props to the ops team and just everybody over there for setting these things up across the country because it's really hard and it's really hard to do at a level of quality that you're doing and bringing in partnerships. So like, where does the furniture come from? Where do the Teslas come? Like, what, what are the pieces inside of these homes? Yeah. So the whole beauty of Wander and this verticalized approach is this idea that perfection is possible when you're truly in control. And that's something that you really see with Apple, right? Is that they own the hardware and the software. And so they're able to iterate both to perfection. And that's really what we try to do at, at Wander is this idea that we are completely in control of the home and what's in it and the guest experience and how the app integrates. And so, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. The, the Wander experience is, yes, yeah, is truly, truly magical. You book a property and you navigate to it. Obviously we can't help you with that part. So you have to enjoy the adventure and you open up the app and you unlock the door with your phone and the music is playing and the lights all turn on and it's that sort of really, really beautiful integration that we find like really shows people why this is different. How going from looking at this property online to booking it through the same exact app, interacting with all these atoms around you. Yeah. And then of course, when you're in the home, because we have control over all the different aspects, we have, I think something like 40 different partners, everything from Herman Miller for the chairs to eight sleep for the beds and beyond. And, and we really made sure that the experience is, is as perfect as it can be. And you're absolutely right. It is, it is a lot of work and the ops team does get incredible credit. And as you would imagine, it's one of the most fun jobs in the world, going to these locations and and setting up these homes and so it was my favorite part of, of the job was touring and then going with the design and construction team while they set things up it's just so cool to transform a physical space like that particularly when they're the kind of spaces that, that your team gets to to work in but it's just so cool to turn something from an empty shell into something beautiful and ready for people to come into we found that it's also incredible content we actually hired a videographer to go and follow them around and we post those videos to youtube you get to sort of meet the team and understand the culture and the setup and the care that goes into these properties. I've only been investing now for a couple of years. And so it's not like I've had this moment with every company, but there's a moment with a lot of companies where like, I, I'm excited early and then something happens during the process where I'm like, oh shit, like this is definitely going to be a thing. And this one speaks to the attention to detail it has nothing to do with the houses. You all send out these sweatshirts that I'm wearing right now. You can't see it. But the sweatshirt, like I got the sweatshirt. It's this white sweatshirt with the Wander logo on it. It's the most comfortable sweatshirt I've owned. It's incredibly well-made. Somebody else got the sweatshirt and then reached out to me to reach out to you to ask where they could get the sweatshirt made for their company. And your answer was that like it was all custom-made, custom-designed. You sourced the fabrics yourselves. You had it stitched somewhere. Like 
the attention to detail on the swag that you send out expresses that idea of having full control over the experience. Like how deep into the company does that go? Because that was a moment where I was like, oh, they're not getting around about controlling all the details. We think about it in terms of what do we want? I think that a lot of companies, for whatever reason, get into this mindset that they're not the customer. And that's when you start to ship, in my opinion, really bad products. Yeah, at Wander, if it's not what we want, it doesn't go out. Whether it's swag, for example, like I, I generally don't subscribe to the idea of company swag because I think like most of the time it's like kind of garbage stuff with a logo on it that gets thrown out. And so, you know, we wanted something that would be in our wardrobe forever. And, and so it's, it's obviously good to hear that, that the hoodie is, is a favorite for you. Down to, of course, the homes that we buy. I mean, we evaluate literally thousands of opportunities and pick maybe a tenth of a percent of them to actually onboard onto the platform. We're very early in our journey. And so we're, we're far from, far from perfect today, but we, we certainly very much care as a culture in this pursuit of, of perfection and, and never losing sight of the fact that as a company, we're building for other people. And so it's not that hard to like think about what people want because you are a person. Like, <laughs> I think that some founders just get in this idea that it's all just like a bunch of numbers and then like, there's no like souls behind it all. But we very much don't feel that way at Wander. How does that scale, right? Like, so if you're taking the 0.1% of the thousands of homes that you look at, let's say that Wander in a couple of years has acquired like the hundred dream homes that you want to acquire. How do you scale and maintain that level of quality and experience? And do you, right? Like at, at some point do you say like, cool, we have a Wander, Wander minus product that's cool, but like not quite as good as regular Wander. Our ambitions are, are very large. We're, we're very much, it was interesting. I was writing about this today, the difference between mission and vision. Our mission is to help as many people as possible find their happy place and to have these really incredible memories. I think today we've had over five years of people staying at Wander's, even though we're such a young company. And like, to think that that's five years of happiness, right? Like five years of proposals and spending time with your kids and old friends reuniting is, I think sort of the purest, like KPI of the company, right? It's like, how much happiness and joy are we bringing into the world? And in terms of scale, we want to expand far beyond just like a single zip code, right? And that's why so early we went from coast to coast across the United States and and hopefully over the following years, you'll see us in Canada and Mexico and in Europe and wander Japan and wander New Zealand. And so when you think about this idea of covering the globe, that's going to the difference between mission and vision is, is really our, our vision, right? Our vision is to create the infrastructure to experience the world so that users can safely and comfortably go to places that they've never gone before. And so that before the clock runs out, they've had as as many good times as possible, it is certainly going to be a challenge scaling this network across the globe and scaling the operations that come with it and the platform and like all these different pieces. But it's a challenge that I think is just incredibly exciting. And when you think about some of the logistical feats of companies before us, like Amazon and otherwise, it's certainly possible. It's not going to be easy, but it doesn't sort of break the laws of physics. And so, so yeah, it's, it's something that I'm excited to to continue to work on. Yeah, I love that mission so much. And obviously the vision, like I, I had Mexico in my mind when I was talking about wanting to buy pieces of properties when I traveled in Japan, I think probably fits in the same 
boat. When you're modeling it out, how do you think about how many homes, like in a best case scenario, Atlas works really well. Funding is not an issue by any stretch of the imagination. Like what's the carrying capacity of your team at scale? And when you grow the team, like how fast can you actually grow the team to hit it? All, all those kinds of things. How do you actually think about nitty gritty scaling a physical property product? It's interesting because really what you want to do is break everything down to the unit level. And that's sort of how we think about Wander as a whole, right? Like we're firm believers in positive unit economics and ensuring profitability every step of the process and, and what team is allocated and otherwise. And so what we really try and, and focus on is thinking about it at that level where how many properties can one team support? How can we leverage technology with Wander OS to continue to automate away all of the property management? What resources are needed on the acquisition team as certain milestones are reached within Atlas and, and beyond. And really what it turns into is this like beautiful machine, almost like a, like a clock where every gear is working together and, and everything's in balance, right? This idea that as Atlas raises capital, Wander goes and purchases properties and certain numbers of properties trigger certain events, whether it's scaling engineering or scaling property management or scaling the finance team. And because we focus on it at a unit level, we don't need to make any crazy assumptions in terms of unlocking certain efficiencies or otherwise as we scale, which we inevitably will. But I think that's actually where companies tend to get in trouble. The short answer is, is that we think about it very much on a unit basis and efficiency at that unit basis. And basically as each home is its own independent business. And that basically what Wander's doing is, is operating thousands of these independent businesses at scale under this cohesive umbrella. From the outside and reading the investor updates and talking to you, it feels like everything's fairly under control for something that's so complex and physically hard. What have been the hardest things and not things that are hard, but everybody can figure out how to do that. Like the thing where you're like, oh shit, like, I don't actually know if we're going to be able to do this thing. Have, has there been anything like that yet? At the company, we're firm believers of this idea that only the paranoid survive. And so we spend a ton of time thinking about the future and where are we going to run into problems and why? And we find that mentality saves us quite a bit of pain from being extremely thoughtful in terms of what data are we looking at when deciding what regions that we're going to purchase in. I mean, just the acquisition process alone, right? Effectively, what we're doing is looking at these massive data sets. We're down to the zip code. We can forecast occupancy, seasonality, rental rates, yield on the properties, and what's our buy box. And then what amenities need to have so that it carries above average performance. And then going even further than that is this idea of digital property management, where it's like, okay, what resources are in that area so that we don't have actual wander team members on the ground, but are automating cleaning crews and maintenance and taking advantage of all this local infrastructure that exists and even going further into, okay, what's our user base in that area and how many users are unlocked when we turn on this home and all these different things. And so we sort of follow like the Jeff Bezos, Amazon mentality of, you know, we want to be correct as often as possible. And we spend a lot of time thinking so that when we execute for the most part, we do it correctly. I hate to give this in, this answer because if you asked me in like my previous ventures, I'd be able to tell you all types of things that I struggled with. But truly at Wander, we are very fortunate. 
that for the most part, there have been, of course, very difficult things like structuring Atlas, right? It has been a, a tremendous amount of work. Like, I don't think people realize how much work goes into like setting up a REIT from a legal perspective, from a financial perspective, from a modeling perspective. I have put in quite a few hours getting this I could imagine. together, but with, with a great team and a, a very clear mission supported by a very clear vision, it's been a lot of work and there certainly have been hurdles that have been thrown at us. But again, the whole idea of wander truly doesn't, doesn't like break any of the laws of physics. That's actually like what I wrote about when I was first starting the company to the very first set of angel investors. And, and so far we've, we've been very fortunate. And, and being able to exit. One thing I want to just zoom in quickly on in there is you talked about figuring out the potential yields for the homes in different areas. And a question that I've had, because we did like a small Airbnb property in upstate New York and generated a great yield, probably not when you take into consideration like our time and effort making it happen, but on, on paper, it was good. I'm picturing like a $50 million castle somewhere. Could that support a good yield? Like is the short-term rental market that liquid or is there a certain kind of point where your buy box hits the ceiling and you're just not going to be able to make a yield because there's not enough buyers of that for a short amount of time? The short answer is yes, absolutely. And it's actually interesting when you think about how does Wander do its underwriting, which I think on its own is super fascinating. We have a really incredible team behind it. But in your 50 million or home example, we'd be looking to have that home throw off more than $10 million a year in revenue. And the question is, is like, okay, who's going to be paying for that? And so you break that down on a nightly rate perspective. So really the way that we look at it is we also look at it from a historical perspective as well. So what are people paying for certain regions? What did they pay previously? How has the growth been? What is the occupancy and seasonality? And then at what rates do you see home performance start to drop off? And when you combine all these different metrics, you sort of end up in this like beautiful range of occupancy and rates and seasonality. And otherwise it gives you a very clear view on what the property performance will look like. And then of course you model in, what does it look like in a, in a downside scenario? What does it look like in an exceptional scenario? And you build in your buffers from your performance metrics on either side. And really then you kind of come to this ideal working backwards, come to this like ideal price bracket. The beautiful thing is once you've done all of that. Then you're actually not just evaluating the home from a yield perspective, but you need to evaluate it from an underlying value perspective. And so the question is then, how does it appraise? How does it appraise against different comps? What have those comps done over the last X number of years? What did it look like during market crash? What did it look like during periods of growth? And when you combine those two things, and that's really the, the beauty of Atlas as a financial product and institutionalizing this asset class is that you're left with a product that has the underlying value of a single family home with hospitality level returns. And that's some, simply something that does not exist today. That's what I've been wanting to see in a product for a very, very long time. So yeah, I absolutely love that model. It just moves out. I mean, you, yeah, you either get the appreciation or you can maximize in the short term. It feels like you guys want to hold for a while. So you're not going to be just like flipping based on kind of prices in the market but it is just a much more beautiful financial product than doing either alone. Yeah, absolutely right. And the other thing too, is that like, it's not a, to your point, just a product where you buy one of these properties and it's like some cookie cutter house in Phoenix that 
you hold on to for a year and then sell. It's really a like buy and hold model where effectively what you're doing is you're finding these extremely high quality assets that support a very high yield and then holding on to them for really as long as they're generating that yield. And then what you're doing is through the REIT, creating a path of liquidity for investors to be able to come in and come out whenever is needed, where the value is updated on the underlying value of the real estate and continuing appraisals and otherwise. And so it allows for Wander to be very intentional with the houses that we purchase, to make the improvements and to operate them at this very high yields while investors get to benefit from that appreciation yield and then have a path for liquidity as opposed to having very short-term market risks. This has been a blast. I could keep going. We won't do that to you because you're very busy and have a company to run. But where can people find Wander, wander.com, but where, like, where's the best place to learn more about what you're doing? And then where can people find Atlas and get involved? Yeah. So you can obviously find us at our website, wander.com. You can follow us on really every social media platform at Wander, and you can learn more about Wander Atlas at wander.com forward slash Atlas. Amen. Well, I'm going to go do that right now, or I guess right now when this is airing. John Andrew, this has been an absolute blast. It's been so cool watching you operate and turn this into the thing that you mentioned it was going to be the first time that we spoke when it is in such a hard space. So thanks for doing that. And thanks for the time today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me.